Show of hands, how many of you were here two weeks ago when we had our Vision Sunday, maybe online or perhaps here with us, and I know many are joining us online right now. Well, two weeks ago we shared, uh, as a reminder, the church that we long to be. We long to be a church of individuals and as a community that is following Jesus. Boy, that takes a lot of trust. To follow Jesus, not just on Sundays or not just here on this campus, not just with people whom it's easy to follow Jesus with, but we want to follow Jesus every day and everywhere, with everyone. And we do this because we long to see through the power of God's spirit that that every person, every neighborhood, and every city would be revived and renewed by Jesus. That's what we long for, it's what we're giving our lives to. Now again, if you were with us two weeks ago, you remember me saying that though lofty, though grand, though exciting that adventure is, you can still approach that, that way of life one of two ways. And you remember I shared two different animals to help describe those two different ways. You can either approach that way of life like a hamster or a hawk. Some of you are like, what? If you're new, what? Well, you can join us online, uh, catch up on those messages. You can go on iTunes and listen. But remember, I shared last week and the week before about this hamster way of life. You know, hamsters, they're, they're, they're runners. Science have found that, uh, scientists have discovered that they will run up to five miles every night. And so what do hamsters do in their cage environments? They get on a hamster wheel and they, and they run, right? And they run 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 and they run. And they go and go and go. And we've described in our modern Western world that if you kind of get locked into that rut of a life, it's like you're on a hamster wheel. That there's just so much to do and so many things and there's endless to-do lists and on and on it goes. And sometimes we can kind of take that view of life and place that on our relationship with God and when we begin to hear a life of following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone that's exhausting we're not called to live a hamster like life and yet some of us think that oh I've got to show up to church and I've got to pray and I've got to do these things and on and on where's the freedom no 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 no. we're not called to live like hamsters We're, we're we're called to be hawks You see, a hawk is very different than a hamster. A hawk is always found soaring, gliding. We are blessed in a part of town where the winds across the San Fernando Valley come roaring across and they hit this hillside as they come up, it creates thermals. And there's hawks often seen soaring and gliding, barely flapping their wings. They're just going throughout the buildings and the trees and it's gorgeous to see. In their natural habitat, they're they're living free as God intended. And if you remember me sharing two weeks ago and even last week, hawks have this ability to look and see exactly what they want and they go for it. They don't wait a minute, an hour. They don't say, oh, I'll take care of that thing. I'll get that thing next week. When they see that moment filled with opportunity, they dive for it. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing, what does it look like for us to get out of a hamster way of life, just kind of going through the motions to looking for opportunities to bless people, to serve people, to love people, to forgive people, to extend kindness and justice and mercy? 
that in the minutes of our life, in the chronos of time, remember that? That we would engage in those kairos moments, moments filled with opportunity for us to engage, to follow Christ into. And last week we talked about Abram, remember? Who was called by God to leave this comfort zone. Remember I said hawks first are in a nest. They've got to get out of the nest. They've got to get out of the comfort zone to fly. And remember last week I shared that when God calls, he, he qualifies you. That if he calls you to do something, to follow him, he will give you the resources. He will give you the strength. God gives you God's spirit. And I want to go deeper into that, that idea of a hamster versus a hawk view of following Jesus. You see, the word hamster is really interesting. Very different than the word hawk, obviously. A hawk, not only are they enjoying the life that God created to and they soar and fly and it's just amazing to see, but hawks are always found in community. Did you know that? That hawks rarely are found in isolation. In fact, hawks will often pair up for life. They will hunt together. They will build shelters together. They will provide food for their young together. It's a tight-knit community. They're not just free as individuals. They're free in relationship. Ah, but a hamster, very different. The word hamster comes from the German word hamstern. Anybody speak German? Did I do okay with that? Did I do that right? Hamstern? Yes, okay. It's just fun to say. So hamstern, it's where we get the word hamster from. In German, hamstern means, ready for this? To hoard. Oh, hamsters are selfish little creatures. They're hoarders. Hence the name hamstern. Hamsters don't live in community. In fact, if you ever try to put another hamster into another hamster's cage, they will hamster, they will hoard, and they will fight, and they will bicker. There will be violence. Never do you see hamsters living together in community, very different than hawks. My question to you, Bel Air, are you a hawk or are you a hamster when it comes to community? Are you committed to one another? Or are you hamstering your life? Do you show up to your groups, uh, to Sunday, to service opportunities, hamstering? I'm going to keep saying it because it's fun to say. <laughs> Hoarding everything. Do you show up saying, your life for mine? This is about me. What am I going to get out of it? The lights are too bright. The lights are too dark. I don't like the music. Why would you shave your beard, Drew? Why don't they have this thing for me? Why? Why? You're a hamster, and you're missing out on the life that God longs for you to have. You see, God doesn't just call you to God's self. You're not just called to someone. Your primary call in your life isn't just to follow Jesus, and that's it. Yes, that's your primary call, but your secondary call is to follow Jesus in community. So if last week was about Abram responding to this call of God on his life, this week is about our call to be in community with each other. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up to page 210. We're going through the book of Ruth. 
and I'm going to read two different sections. Uh, first, Ruth 1, 8 through 17, and then I'm going to read Ruth 4, 13 through 17 after that. Just show of hands as you're turning there. It's, again, page 210 in your pew Bible. If you're joining us online, I'm going through the New Revised Standard Version. Again, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. How many of you show of hands have ever heard a sermon on Ruth? Okay, good. Now, how many of you uh, have heard me preach on Ruth before? Which is correct. I haven't preached on Ruth before. <laughs> and let me say, I'm sorry for that. Forgive me for that. Three years in, I should have preached on this much sooner. There is such richness, such goodness, something so applicable and transformative for what God has for us today. So forgive me for taking three years to get to, to Ruth. But let me read this, this longer section, beginning in verse... Eight. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they are grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. And turn a page to Ruth 4, verse 13 through 17. Beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her bosom, and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word. All right, so before I get to the two big takeaways that I want us to walk away with and are so applicable for us today, let me, let me just first give you some context. Many of you are familiar with Ruth. If you're not familiar with Ruth, I want to encourage you, before your head hits the pillow tonight, read Ruth. It's four chapters. It'll take you 15 minutes. Before the Oscars tonight, you've got time, you've got TiVo. If you can't fit it in, 15 minutes. Four chapters, easy. There's such richness in all of this. 
And if I could summarize the whole book of Ruth this way, I'll just put it into three chapters and I'll give them titles for you. The first one is this, the absolute emptiness of Naomi. You've got to understand a little bit about the culture back then, very different than today. The culture back then was this, that your, your identity, your security, your meaning, your purpose in life had everything to do with your family. It wasn't what you did as an individual. It wasn't your individual accomplishments. It wasn't your individual resume. It wasn't your individual wealth. It wasn't anything to do with you as an individual. Everything had to do with your family. So as a way of background, the reason why Naomi is so empty is because of this. She was married. She had two sons. There was a massive famine in Israel. They left their homeland. They had to sell their land. They lost it all and they went into a new land in Moab. And her two sons married two Moabite women. Now the Moabites worshiped other gods. Moloch was one of them. And so now it's this interracial, interfaith marriage. Naomi loses her husband. Naomi loses her sons. She is not only a widow, at that point in human history, she is the worst kind of widow, making her the most vulnerable, the most marginalized. She didn't have parents to take care of her. She no longer had a husband to take care of her. She didn't have sons to take care of her. She's now reached a point of a physical and a spiritual dead end. Her family line will not continue. And so she has to make this choice. Do I stay here in this foreign land or do I go back to my homeland? And so she chooses to go back to her homeland. And when she does return, her name Naomi, by the way, means sweet. And when her village in Bethlehem, actually, that she goes back to, when they see Naomi, they say, Naomi, you're back. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The word Mara literally means bitter. She says, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Absolutely empty. She's got nothing. There's nothing at that moment in her life that gives her any reason for hope. And just as an aside, if, if you look back on that and say, come on, Naomi, get it together. I mean, yeah, so you don't have family, but you're a strong woman. You can make a name for yourself. What's the big deal? You see, what you're doing is you are taking your modern Western view and placing it on that culture, and you're saying, what's the big deal? How old school? How traditional? How regressive for you to think that you can't make a name for yourself, that you have to rely on a man or sons or a family to have security? Why would you do that? But they might look at our culture and say, why do you make such a big deal about your wrinkles? Why do you make such a big deal that you don't like the way you look? Why do you make such a big deal that you're not getting the opportunities that you used to, like when you were younger? Why do you make such a big deal that you didn't get that job? Why do you make such a big deal that that, that project didn't go through? How backwards, how old school, how old fashioned? I'm glad we haven't regressed to that. You see, every culture tells you where you should put your self-esteem. Every culture tells you where you should find your identity, your security, and your worth. You have to understand 
that just because our modern culture tells us to put our worth in certain things doesn't mean that when we read scripture, that's the same and the truth for back then. So you have to realize that from her point of view and her experience, she's absolutely empty. There's nothing. Chapter one. Chapter two. We'll title it this, the absolute courage and love of Ruth. Ruth is one of the daughters-in-law who is a Moabite. Naomi, in her emptiness, says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go back to Israel. Now, a Moabite was despised by the Jewish people. And what she does, when she gets to that place and she says, no, I'm going to go with you, I want you to understand what she's actually saying. What she's saying is this, I'm going to leave my comfort, I'm going to leave the wealth of Moab, I'm going to leave all the things I've known in my whole life, and I'm going to go to a foreign country, and I'm going to be a minority. I'm going to be an outsider. I'm going to be on the margins of society. And when you read Ruth later today, which you will, right? You'll read Ruth today. You'll see that actually there's moments in that that are very chilling because you actually see that what she's done, she's put her life at risk. That not only are Moabites hated in Israel, and as a woman, there's, there's threats of violence against her. There's a possibility for her life to be taken. And so when she actually, out of courage, absolute love says, I'm going to go with you, she gave up everything. Now, every single immigrant that I know personally who either chose to leave where they were born or was forced out for whatever reason either thinks or dreams or prays or hopes for a better life wherever they're headed. As I've spent time, whatever reason, whether they choose it or forced out, they believe, they long for a better life. That's not the case for Ruth because she is leaving a land of plenty, going into a land that is recovering from famine. She is an immigrant for, from a world's point of view for all the wrong reasons. She doesn't think she's going to get her name great, to get more security at the risk of her life. She binds herself to Naomi. That's chapter two. Chapter three, you'll read this today, you'll see this. Because of that, a kinsman redeemer is revealed. What is that? Well, in the New Revised Standard Version, the translation I just read, it says next of kin. Some translations say kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word for that is one who has the ability to redeem. Now, what is this all about? You'll read, you'll see that there's a gentleman by the name of Boaz who fits this category. Now, in the nation of Israel, every single family originally had a plot of land. Not only was their identity in their family, their identity was grounded in the land that they owned. And so when Naomi and her husband now passed away and sons passed away, as they left Israel, they lost their land. So now she's going back without a family to a place where she doesn't have land, but there's a kinsman redeemer in the midst. This very rare, very unique person who is willing, who is able to use their wealth, to use their social status, to use their social power, to purchase for Naomi and for Ruth to get that land back. This kinsman redeemer is not a hamstern. 
It's a hawk. Someone who says, my life for yours. And so what Boaz does, uses his wealth, purchases back the land, takes care of the whole family, marries Ruth, they have a son. In the midst of this great hopelessness, in the midst of the great courage, in the midst of this kinsman redeemer being revealed, the backdrop of Ruth, there's two things that we've got to know today that have a huge implication on how we live, how we love like Jesus, how we follow him every day and everywhere with everyone. The two things are this. First, meaningful relationships have the power to transform. And let me talk about meaningful relationships for a moment. When I say meaningful relationships, I'm not talking about just community. I'm talking about something deeper. And and when I say, and I'm not talking about community, I'm not talking about proximity. You see, many of us, actually all of us right now, we are in proximity with one another. Please don't for a moment think that just by being in proximity with one another, that's the same as community, nor think that that's the same as a meaningful relationship. Just because you show up at 11.15 every Sunday for an 11 a.m. service, sitting shoulder to shoulder looking forward, just because you're in proximity with one another, doesn't mean you're in community, doesn't mean you're in a meaningful relationship. Don't settle for just being around other people. It'll never transform you. And if you think that showing up on a Sunday and just being here, I'm telling you, the sermons, they're not going to transform you the way a meaningful relationship will and the way that God will use it. The worship won't transform you to the level that a meaningful relationship as God uses it in your life will. You see, meaningful relationship requires two things. It takes time and it takes sacrificial commitment. I'm talking about meaningful relationships, deep friendships. You've got to spend time with one another. You see, Ruth does that to Naomi. He says, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. There's this commitment to be with someone. And in our fast-paced, neck-break culture where we're so fragmented, where it's going like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, we don't have time. No, we do have time. We just don't choose to make time. Or we allow ourselves to be so spread thin. This is, this is my life right now. I am not a good friend to people because I'm not able to give the time to my closest friends in my life. But it's not just time, it's sacrificial commitment. You see, Ruth says to Naomi, I'm binding my life to yours. If you die, I'm going to die. What does that mean for us today, this sacrificial commitment? If you get cancer, I'm going to walk that journey with you. I'm going to go with you to chemo. I'm going to shed tears with you. If you lose your job, I'm going to help you with a resume. I'm going to drive you to job interviews. If you lose a child, I'm going to be there right with you. If you lose your mind, I'm not going to abandon you because it's uncomfortable. I'm going to be right there with you. You see, Bel Air, there is a choice that you get to make for the closest people in your life to not just spend time with them. Well, we like to get coffee together. We like to go on walks together. We like to work out together. That's it, right? No, no, it's, it's more than just time. It is a sacrificial commitment where you're sacrificing your time, your energy, where you say, gosh, I really want to go outside and, and do that thing. No, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit and listen to my close friend for three hours in tears. That's how meaningful relationships are built. Those relationships, meaningful relationships where time and sacrificial commitment are given, they have the power to transform. How do we see that here? Open those Bibles back up. Look, Ruth chapter one. There's this amazing moment. 
where it says in verse 16, Ruth chapter one, remember, but Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn your back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. It's easy to look, overlook. It's easy to brush path. In that instant, Ruth has just given her life to the true God, the maker of heaven and earth. She has gone from worshiping Moloch, the god of Moab, her entire life, and the love that Naomi had for her, the care for her, the time that they had spent together transformed her in such a way that she says, gosh, I'm gonna worship your exclusive God because you've loved me in such a non-exclusive way. You've loved me even in the midst of me worshiping other gods. You've loved me even in the midst of me being different than you. You've loved me even in the midst of me being just a hated race among your people. Your God is my God and absolute transformation occurs. And what's so amazing is, is that we see not only Naomi transforming Ruth's life, we see Ruth transforming Naomi's life. There's moments in the journey, and you're gonna read it today, apparently. I mean, I, you nodded, you said yes. I guess, I guess you're gonna read Ruth today, all four chapters. You'll read, you'll see there's moments where Naomi gives Ruth hope and vice versa. And it's such a reminder that every single one of us, we don't have enough hope within us to fuel us individually for our entire life. We need meaningful relationships close to us when we become hopeless to infuse hope into our life. We don't have enough patience in, within our own selves to carry us in our own life. We need somebody else to be patient with us. We don't have enough forgiveness within us. Sometimes we can't forgive ourselves. We need someone else to say, I forgive you. If you can't forgive you, I forgive you. And we need that, it transforms us, it melts our heart. You were created for community. Stop hamstering your life away. Stop hoarding those moments and make it all about you. God is calling you to be transformed and be part of the transformation of someone else and that's only gonna happen if you choose to spend time in a sacrificially committed sort of way. Now again, as humans, we only have capacity for so much of that. And what I'm not saying, I wanna be absolutely clear, I'm not asking you to be every single one of you in a meaningful relationship with everyone that calls Bell or their church home. That would be impossible. You can't have meaningful, timeful, sacrificial, committed life with thousands of people. You can't do that. But here's what I am saying, is that we have to be a church where every single person is in a meaningful relationship. That every single person who's part of this church says that I am giving time to people in a sacrificially committed way and there's somebody else that's giving me time in a sacrificially committed way and I, I want you to do a self-inventory right now. And I want you to look at it from your perspective to someone else. Do you have someone in your life right now that you are giving time to? And not just time, like you're around them, but you're giving time to them in a sacrificially committed sort of way. And if you don't have one, you've got to find one. You've got to stop hamstering your life away. You've got to be in community where you can give yourself, where you can say, my life for you.
And let me flip it. Do you have someone in your life that is giving you time in a sacrificially committed sort of way? Now, before you say no, take a look at how Naomi says no. Remember, we won't read it now. You'll read it later. I'll give you time to read it on your own. You're going to read when Naomi goes to Bethlehem and the village says, Naomi, sweet. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. And she says, because I have nothing. Now, hold on a second. Remember, in that culture, the meaning in your life was derived from relationships. So she shows up to her hometown and she says, I have nothing. I am empty. There is nothing in my life. There's no people in my life. I have no relationship. Is Ruth saying, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? I just left my family. I left my homeland. I've, I've, I've bound my life to yours. I've covenanted with you. How can you say you have, I mean, that's what I would be thinking. It's not clear there in the text, but that's what I would be thinking. And it so reminds me that it's so easy to go throughout life and to have a nice, neat little box and say, this is what I'm looking for. God, I need this. And I need a person like this. I need a PLU. You know what PLU is? Have you heard that phrase before? People like us. Have you heard that phrase before? Some of us are looking for PLUs, people like us. Oh, they listen to the same band that I do. They vote just like me. They dress like me. They're, our kids go to the same school. People like us, we look for people to fit in a box. And yet God might be giving somebody already in our life somebody very different than what we are looking for who's given you that time, who is sacrificing for you in such significant ways. Don't be like a Naomi in that instant that says, God, I've got nothing. When maybe there's somebody right there that is so overlooked by you. So before you say, no, there's no one in my life, Say, God, have you, have you brought someone in my life that I'm not aware of, that actually I'm overlooking, that I'm taking for granted, that I, doesn't fit neatly in my box, we didn't graduate from law school in the same year, and am I, am I missing them? That leads me to my second point, and it's this. That meaningful relationships actually reveal the deep meaning that is inherent in every person's life. Remember, Naomi has reached a physical dead end, a spiritual dead end. Her lineage, she thinks, is not going to go on. And through this relationship, it took her some time to realize what she actually had, this gift from God and this deep, meaningful relationship. She was transformed. Ruth was transformed. But here's what's amazing. And, and it's just so mind-boggling. Mind Remember, there was two daughters, Orpah, what a great name, and Ruth. Orpah says, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to stay. I'm not going to give you my time. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to commit to you. I'm, I'm not going to ha have a deep, meaningful relationship. I'm going to stay nice and neat in my comfort zone. We never hear from Orpah again. She's never mentioned in Scripture again. Uh, Orpah isn't a big name these days, I believe. But Ruth, what happens to Ruth? Ruth has a son. 
named Obed, that has a son named Jesse, that has a son named David, King David, the greatest king of Israel, David and Goliath. Talk about meaning. Matthew, when giving the genealogy of Jesus, which was the first century form of a resume in Matthew 1, go back, you'll, you'll read this too, you've got time. Give yourself 17 minutes today, Ruth. And Matthew 1, read through the genealogy, you'll go through and you'll see Ruth listed in the genealogy of Jesus. What would have happened had this relationship not come together? And what's so amazing is that Naomi says, I've got nothing, and Ruth can't see it. There's no miraculous thing that we see in Ruth 1 through 4. We don't see a voice from heaven. We don't see God show up in a, in a burning bush. We don't see God moving in, in, a, in a pillar of fire. There's no sea that's parted. And many of you, you're looking around and you're like, I have no miracles. God's not doing anything in my life. I must be insignificant. These relationships I have must be meaningless. I, I don't see God moving. Oh, you have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes. You have no idea for Ruth to step out, to make that choice, for King David and Jesus the Christ to come through her lineage, what an amazing thing. So Bel Air, if you choose, and it's a choice, this is the last time I'll say it, to stop hamstering your life away and be in community, choose to be in community with meaningful relationships, and, and maybe it's one, maybe two, maybe three at most. You see, we can be in community with one another. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We've got, to be a, we've got to go beyond proximity to community in the first place. But then even pockets within our broader community in those meaningful, deep, committed relationships, we're, we are sacrificing for one another. Not only will we be transformed, not only will we realize the deep meaning that God has for us in each of our lives, but a kinsman redeemer will be revealed. Jesus Christ, our true Redeemer, who has come and in the greatest act of humanity says, my life for yours, says I will take my social capital, my heavenly capital, I will take my riches and I will spend it on behalf of you to give you a people, to give you a family, to give you a land, the new heavens and the new earth. You see, Ruth and Naomi's story is your story. It points to the greater and grander story of your Redeemer, the one who has the ability to redeem you. And maybe today for the first time, you would be like a Ruth. Maybe you've been worshiping other gods. Maybe you're engaged in idol worship right now. You're like, no, I don't. I don't have little statues. Well, do you worship your career? Do you worship your reputation? Do you worship having it together all the time. That's a modern view of idolatry, a modern view of other gods. Maybe today for the first time, you're gonna be like a Ruth and you're gonna say, you know what? Your God is to be my God. What a journey we have together as we follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. You see, we need to do this informally, naturally, at the same time, we have people formally doing this. There's people that have stepped forward as deacons all throughout this city. You see, we have an outsource to a company called Deacon for this. Some of you 
have chosen to be deacons. Spread across the 11 neighborhoods throughout our area. And you're making phone calls. You're praying with people. You're visiting people in the hospital. You're encouraging people. You are giving your time in a sacrificially committed way. And you're being transformed. You're finding meaning in your life. Some of you, you're Stephen ministers. And in fact, today's the day that we're going to commission a new round of Stephen ministers. You see, we have formal ways that we do this, but informally, we've got to do this together. In a moment, I'm going to have our Stephen ministers come up that are going to be commissioned for us today. But as they're walking up, would you direct your attention to the screen? See this video of what Stephen ministry is all about. Come on up. Stephen ministry is a place where people can come who are hurting. It could be from a loss of a family member. It could be a loss of a job. It's a caring ministry. It's for people who are going through crisis in their life. As a caregiver in the Stephen ministry, I walk alongside and show Christ's love to the care receivers. Typically, the care receiver themselves comes up with the answer, but it is process-oriented, not results-oriented. We're not there to fix them. But they need a Christian friend to sound it out and to listen to them in a confidential manner. Typically, we will meet with our care receivers about an hour and a half a week. It's an opportunity for the person to just share whatever they're ready for that day. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. The, The key is to make them feel very comfortable. To listen to them intently. And ask her, what are your prayer needs? What should we pray for this week? And during my prayer time, I pray for her. That's the gift that Christ gives us, the gift of mercy. No one likes to go through pain alone, and it's a good opportunity to lead them to Christ if they're not already, or to strengthen their walk. We are the caregiver, and Christ is in the center as the caregiver in all the situations. We can help them to be uplifted and be closer to God through this uh, crisis. He's using me and the other Stephen ministers as his ambassadors to show that he does exist and that he does love his children. And it's just very rewarding to, to know that you've helped someone walk a very difficult path and to get them to the other side. Well, friends, these men and women before you are hawks. They're hawks of care. They look out at you as you are looking at them with hearts that say, I'm here to serve. They have gone through a significant training to be able to come alongside for a season of life when some of you are needing someone to do as Drew preached to accompany to be that friend who walks along in the midst of uh, hard seasons. And um, this is a significant day for them as we pray and commission them to this ministry. You've heard the expression, a high calling. These men and women have an incredibly high calling. That's where hawks soar. And they appropriate the wind of the spirit through their training and their heart as they are in that current for your sake. And so in a moment, I'm gonna pray for them. And as I do, I invite you to just reach your hand out 
as we commission them to this particular ministry, to be a Stephen's minister among us. Will you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we lift our hands as we commission these Stephen ministers, grateful for your call upon them, grateful that they don't do this ministry alone, that you, God, are in them, through them, and with them as they seek to listen and offer support and walk along the journey, sometimes in rough roads, with men and women of our congregation who need a companion. We thank you, God, for the hours they've invested, for the sacrifices they've made to this day be commissioned to this particular ministry. And God, would you give them joy on the journey? Would you use all that they have learned and prepared, use their good head and hearts, use their compassionate ears and voice to speak truth and kindness and hope to those with whom they journey. We, in this day, in the name of Jesus Christ, commission each of these standing before this church family to this extraordinary purpose as they officially become Stephen ministers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you just thank them on behalf of our church family? Thank you so much.